0: Has everybody seen the movie, um, what did we watch last night? Tom, C- Jerry Maguire. Have you guys seen Jerry Maguire? I've always seen bits and pieces, and every time somebody would ask, like, do you want to watch it? Have you seen it? I'd say, I've seen it, even though I hadn't really seen it. <laughs> I had just seen it. I didn't feel like watching it for some reason. But we decided to watch it yesterday. It's with uh, Tom Cruise, and... Uh, It's a good movie. We didn't finish the whole thing. We were kind of tired, so there's about 30 minutes left. And uh, we're going to probably finish that today, so don't spoil it. I don't know what happens in the end. But basically, Tom Cruise's character, Jerry Maguire, he's a sports agent. And he's very charismatic, and he's very, very good at what he does. And he has the best clients, and he works at this big company. But then he realizes how much their industry uses and abuses the athletes, so he has this epiphany, he says, we can do what we're doing, but in a nicer way and not have to ruin people's lives and overwork them and whatever. So he writes this manifesto, it's sort of like, a, he calls it a mission statement, but it's a long book. And he disperses it throughout his entire firm. And they're like, this is not the direction that we wanna go, what are you trying to say? You know, we, it's about money. And he's trying to say it's about their lives and trying to be all virtuous. Uh, so he gets fired in the very beginning, and he really has nothing to his name because all his good clients stay at the big firm except for Cuba Gooding Jr. He's the only one whose career is kind of going down the you know, a wrong path, and he's the only one who kind of stays with him. So he, he stands up in his office and he says, who's coming with me? I'm leaving. And everyone likes him, but nobody follows him because it's too risky, and only Renee Zellweger, she was so inspired by this book that he wrote. And she's the only one who says, I'm going where you're going. And I thought about that Bible story, you know, where you go, I'll go. Um, but she takes a real leap of faith, faith, uh, because she has a kid who's like four or five years old and she has a good job, but she leaves everything behind because she believes in what he wrote. I be- this, is, this is it. This is how this industry should be. I believe it. And if we stay true to this, then we can have a successful life and I'll make money anywhere else. So she wasn't worried about leaving and going with him, even though it was a very risky thing. So I kind of connect that to our, our life. You know, it's sometimes things are not very easy. We don't know the future. We don't know where things are heading. But by faith, we trust God and we follow him wherever he goes and wherever he's willing to take us. Amen? So this message my mouth is so dry today. So this this series of messages, I'm calling it Back to Basics. And there is so much to say about faith. I mean, you can talk about faith every day for the next year, and, and we can't exhaust the topic. But one thing that's important to note is that faith has power. Faith releases power, church. There's a power when we exercise faith. There's a power when we believe that God could do what he says he can do. And last week I, I said this statement that faith activates spiritual reality. So there are certain things that in God's economy are true and they're real and they've happened and they've even happened for us spiritually. But when we exercise our faith and we believe them, he activates it and allows it to happen in our life today. And the best example or easiest example, I I should say that uh, expresses this, is our salvation. 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross. 2,000 years ago, he bore our sin. 2,000 years ago, he started a new race. But you and I, we repent 2,000 years later And the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. So something we do today activates a spiritual reality that happened 2,000 years ago. Am I making sense? Yes? And faith church is a fight. So we're kidding ourselves if we think that faith is a one-stop thing every day it's a fight it's a fight it's a fight to remain in the faith i've been my whole mind and my whole energy has been in the past couple topics and even with me thinking about faith all the time and trying to come up with something you know to share with you i mean the way my faith is being tested back and forth in different ways is just amazing you let your guard down for a second and Satan can distract you and bring something in your life to question your faith. Our job is to abide in Jesus daily. John 15:5 Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So I like to think of this as we grow from the vine. It's not like somebody took us and attached us to the vine. We grow from the vine, right? So it says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And the Amplified Bible throws something else on top of this. I like to see what what the scholars were thinking that it means and they go back to the old translations and whatever. Bearing fruit is producing the evidence of your faith. So when we bear fruit, it produces the evidence of what we've been believing in. And abiding in him, what does it mean to remain in him? Can you and I step outside of Christ? No, right? We are in him permanently. Nothing's going to change that. He's in us. We're in him. Abiding in him means keeping hold of his promises, believing and accepting the word of God as true having faith in what it says, what it says about you, what it says about our position in him, what it says about the church, what it says about God is doing in our lives, everything, believing in it. And in due time, God will allow his character and the realities in him to be manifested through you. Should I repeat it one more time? This is all background from last week when we abide in him, we are keeping hold of his promises and believing and accepting what the word of God says as true by faith. And in due time, God will allow his character and all the realities in him to be manifested through you. And the the in Romans, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, hearing the word of God, knowing the word of God, it actually builds a bank. It's like a storage bank of God's entire being in us. And the more we know, when we face certain circumstances, the Holy Spirit is a reminder and the Holy Spirit is a helper. It brings verses to our spirit that applies to whatever situation we're going through and keeps us faithful and gives us a faith to move forward but we gotta know the word of God church we have to know the word of God so I created a note section in my in my phone it's called fight the fight and there are a few verses that God is trying to show me in this chapter of my life to really believe in and so I took a few of those verses and I added a few more and I printed them on this piece of paper and i made 80 copies and i'll leave it up here and you can take it before you leave <laughs> i was going to laminate it make it look all nice but ain't nobody got time for that so but please take it and it's okay it's it's cute we put it there oh thank you but in due time you know we got to remember some of this stuff that jesus says about us now the lord is the spirit for instance and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Do you believe the Spirit lives in you? There is liberty in you. Alrighty. Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, It doesn't say, try with your efforts to be like him. It doesn't say, try with your efforts to be a good Christian. It says, hold firmly to the faith we profess, showing how important even that verbal profession is in our lives. We we talk so much all day long. We're talking, we're talking. I'm in the industry, everyone's just talking, okay? But how important it is to profess the word of God, and then listen to this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every single way. Do you know that every temptation that comes to your mind, whatever it is, to tempted to look at yourself, tempted to lack faith, tempted to do something bad, Jesus was tempted in every way, just like us. So he can sympathize with us, he could relate to us, Yet, of course, it says, just as we are yet, he did not sin. So Christianity is a life that's activated by faith in what he did 2,000 years ago. And by faith, we walk daily with him, church. It's a daily walk of faith. So how did all this topic come up? I got to get a new bottle that doesn't pop when 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 the water falls down. About a month and a half ago, I've been sharing about faith, I've been sharing about walking in the Spirit, I've been sharing about having a good attitude, a good outlook on life a couple weeks ago. Well, about a month and a half ago, I was working remotely, and I should have been working a little harder, but you know, when you're working remotely, you're laying on the couch a little bit, and you're playing with your dog. And I was just taking my spiritual life into consideration, and I just i felt like god wanted me to come to the next level of my faith i felt like he he's saying don't just talk the talk it's time to walk the walk it's time for your thoughts your actions your words your testimony to be consistent behind closed doors at the workplace at your school with your family at church i want consistency i want a vessel that is just representing my heart and mind all the time. Okay, so I felt this burden. And I was just like, oh, I just can't do this. Lord, choose someone else. This is too tall. It sounds like too tall of an order, right? Like, I have to be the one to love everybody. I have to be the one to turn the other cheek. I have to be the one while the world is doing whatever they want. I have to be the only one doing things the right way, everyone is taking the easy route, everyone's doing shortcuts, everyone's doing whatever they want to do, and here I am, and I have to suffer and do everything your way? It's just too much, Lord, I can't do this anymore. And believe me, I know, I've always said it's not by our efforts, but sometimes you fall into that trap of not realizing that it's the Holy Spirit that helps us do these things. Okay? So I'm praying, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to let God go on this. I want an answer to this today. So I said, I'm going to fast and not eat the entire day and pray for God to give me an answer. And my fast lasted about 30 minutes. I'm not a very very faithful (laughs) faster. So I I took my dog for a walk, and if someone saw me on the street, they probably would have thought I was losing my mind because I was just— vocally praying to God. Because sometimes when you pray quietly, you just your thoughts go and you're just, all of a sudden I have to go get groceries, I'm out of almond milk, I need bananas. So I'm just trying to say it out loud so I can stay on the right course. And I said, Lord, really? It's hard. I kept saying it's hard. It's too hard. It's so hard. We're in this world, this generation, it's so hard. I can't do this. I can't be like this. And church, Thank God the Holy Spirit communicates with you at times like this. God doesn't come down on a cloud and say, Arlen, I have your answer ready for you. You feel it in your spirit. He reminds you of certain uh, verses. And you know what the first verse he put on my heart was? First, he said, calm down. Calm down. It's God who works in you both to will and to do. I work in you to want to do what I'm doing all the time and to give you the strength and energy and the grace and the courage and the everything to execute, to do it. So it's not your power, it's not your force, it's not your abilities. Keep your mind on him in you who's working in you both to will and to do. And then I felt him say, yes, the world is tough but greater is he that's living in you than he that is in the world can we just hold on to those two promises at least that it's him who works in us to do everything he wants us to do everything and i mean the hardest things you think it's him who works in us to will to even wanna do it sometimes we are so we don't even wanna do what he wants us to do but it's him who does wills works in us to want to do it and then to execute. And let's get out of this mentality that it's hard because greater is he who's living in you. Like, do you realize who's living in you? What's living in you? And that's greater than he that is in the world. And a third thing, and I'm going to go into this later, was because I felt a little bit, it feels like a lonely walk sometimes, right? Right? I remembered where he tells Elijah that I have 7,000 people out there. Now, that's just a number trying to show us that we're not alone, who have not kneeled their knees to Baal. That he has people out there who are like us, so we're not alone. We're not the only church on earth. There are pockets here and there around the world of people who have responded to his call and want to walk all the way with him. Amen? christianity is not a behavioral adjustment it is our job to believe and keep our focus on who we are in him who we are in him all right so what does satan do he operates by using thoughts satan doesn't come into our body satan can't touch our spirit he operates with thoughts he tries to bring thoughts in your mind to weaken your faith and his thoughts consist of three kinds of thoughts accusations temptations and deception he he misinterprets the word of god are you really saved are you really free are you really saved by grace? Or he tempts us, he entices us to do something. And then if we say, oh, I can't do it, so I'm just going to do what he wants me to do. Or and then, he, and then once we do it, he accuses us. Oh, you're not good enough. Oh, you're like this. Oh, you're like that. That's how he operates. He attacks the reality of God's word and says, do your, th- and We need to learn that our our thinking and what we're doing needs to align with the word of God, regardless of how we feel. So sometimes we feel a certain way, our emotions are up and down, but we gotta consistently be focused, honed in on what the reality of the word of God is. And that's how we fight the fight against Satan. Faith is spiritual warfare between the enemy's thoughts that he's trying to put in our heads, Versus the word of God. And God gives us good news. We don't have to think about every thought that comes in our head. You don't have to think and dwell on every thought that comes in your head. Second Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Stronghold is something that Satan has bombarded you with for so long that you've just bought it and you've sort of made it your identity. Oh, well, I am the way I am. I'm just angry. I'm an angry person. You just made that a stronghold in your life. Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and here's the fight, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in us that directs us when something we're thinking is not right. And we shouldn't just accept it as, oh, this is what it is. And we should just go off on our day. And, and for instance, we, we know we got to be thankful people, right? We know God wants us to be thankful well, a lot of our time we spend thinking about stuff that are, are just making us unthankful. Oh, this is going bad, this is going... I'm not saying be unrealistic about your problems, but I'm saying you don't have to accept that everything is doom and gloom and then you suddenly fall down a hole where you don't even thank God anymore or see his goodness in your life. Some of the thoughts he puts in our mind, I'm not worth anything to God. Ah, oh, my time with God is done. I, I'm not worth anything. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're still worth something to God. I always joke with V. There's this southern preacher. One time I put the TV on and she was speaking. The first thing it said, she said, when Caleb was 81 years old, she said, Lord, show me a mountain. It doesn't matter how old you are, church. God can do anything he wants in your life at any time. Or he can do things for other or he can do things for other people, but will he really do it for me? Can God really take me out of this oh, this situation's so hard. He does this for everyone else, but for me, it just never works out. Come on, uh- oh, okay, maybe this one. maybe this one will shoot those arms up. I'll never overcome this. I'll just never get out of this mess. What kind of a thought is that? Think about it. Is that from the Lord? I mean, he, he makes the impossible possible. His very nature is to make the impossible possible. What kind of a thought is he, he Can never, I could never overcome this. And you know what? Even if he doesn't take something out of your life completely, he will bring you to a place where he'll make you so much like him that you can deal with it and it won't even affect you anymore he hasn't taken every single thing out of everyone's life we know that for a fact sometimes things take long sometimes they just remain i don't know there's a lot of other powers that place people's wills people's wrong decisions or whatever but he will show us and teach us and train us to handle those situations with grace amen So Satan robs us of our faith by our thoughts. And it's so important, church, to meditate on the word daily. Meditate on the word daily. And imagine, I'm in the midst of prepping this a couple days ago, and out of nowhere, out of nowhere, this thought suddenly came to my mind, oh, what a tough time you had in your childhood. Oh, I went through some stuff, spoiler alert. A lot of people know, oh, poor you. No kid deserves to go through that. Oh, what a sad thing you went through. And it just, for 10 seconds, I was just dwelling on it out of nowhere. I'm a, I'm a pretty, just naturally forward-thinking person. I don't like to think about the past too much. But out of nowhere, it just comes, brings my whole mood down. And I'm in the middle of, thank God for the Holy Spirit, who reminded me where Apostle says, "Leaving everything behind, I press on to the to the uh, goal that's set before me, or the finish line, or whatever." I need to read the Bible better, but you get what I mean. Press on. You don't see a point in in Paul's life where he sits back and he says, "Oh, I per- oh I persecuted the church. Oh, I'm so." I'm so mad, I'm so bad, what kind of a person I am. The only time he brings up persecuting the church is to show how much he's changed and what God is able to do in his life. Leaving everything behind, I press on. Can someone look it up so I can finish it? Thank God, church. Can we just think about this for a second? Thank God we are not defined by the past. Thank God he nailed our past to the cross. Thank God we are a new creation in him. Thank God he nailed sin to the cross. He gave us a new life. Thank God we're seated at the right hand in the heavenly places with the entire forces of darkness under our feet. Faith is a forward-looking life. Faith is not in the past. How many of you are dwelling on the past? Something happened. Come on. Let me see those hands. I wasn't a good parent at this time in my life. Let it go and move on. Seriously. Move forward. He wants to do great things in our lives. Can we just stop for a second and just imagine that God lives in us? that his very life is in us at all times. Look in the mirror in the morning. Dare I say it before you have your coffee? And just say, God is living in this vessel. And everywhere I go, I'm taking him with me. Everywhere I go, I'm taking him with me. And that should not put a pressure on your back of, oh, now I have to, no, it's liberating that he's always in us, he's always with us, he's always by our side. James says in 2, James 2.19, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is prevalent. And how? How? And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Just accept his word at its face value, that it's true in your life. And don't waver from that. That in and of itself will start moving mountains in our lives. And then he says, verse 22, But do not merely listen to the word, so to deceive yourselves. But do what it says. Do what the Word says. And this is what's called walking now in the faith. So we have faith in the finished work of Christ. We have faith in the Word of God. But then when God communicates to our spirit and tells us to do something, He gives us direction. You get a gut feeling when you know something's wrong, when you know you shouldn't do something. Listen to that. That's walking by faith the more we listen to that still small voice inside, and it's usually in the little things. And he gives us the grace to listen. He gives us the grace to do it. He gives us the grace and the patience to do what he's telling us to do. And God will never tell you to do something that's too difficult for you to do. He will bring you to a point where it's a lot easier with his grace to do what he's telling you to do. But when he tells you to do something and he communicates to your spirit with that still small voice when you just know you should either do something or not do something, listen to him and do it. That's called walking in the spirit. And the more we resist that voice, the more we we choke it and not let and not do what it tells us to do, the flesh gets stronger and the spirit in a sense gets weaker. We, we read about crucifying the flesh, right? Well, it's nothing that you and I can force, forcefully crucify the flesh. But the more we listen to his spirit, the more we listen to that voice within that tells us to do something, gives us direction, and we do what he, what he says, the flesh gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. Part of spiritual maturity is learning to do what the Spirit is leading us, regardless of our emotions and mood. Oh my gosh, my mood and my emotions. I don't really want to drink this, the noise it's going to make. Hebrews eleven eight says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, sat there and panicked and didn't know, obeyed and went. Obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. Why is it saying he lived in tents? He was a wealthy man, generational wealth. It says him and his sons, they lived in tents. Why? Because they were thinking forward. They were thinking that this is not it. Yeah, it's uncomfortable here, but I'm going to faithfully walk with God through the discomfort because I know what's ahead of me and I want to achieve what God has for me. Who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to a city whose architect and builder was God. So the more we listen to that voice and do as it says, the flesh gets weaker. Look at what it says in Galatians 5.16. It says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, Start listening to that voice when it tells you to do something and do it. Don't just keep resisting it. Are you in trouble with somebody or disagreement with somebody? Somebody's hurt you? We don't need a whole revelation to know what we have to do. we got to forgive the person, right? So recently somebody had hurt me and I was... just wanted to strangle this individual. And... I, you know what I enjoyed also? Getting together with other people that this person hurt, and just talking about it and talking about it a little more. And sometimes you say, well, oh, I'm just doing it because I got to get it off my chest. But it's not right. It's gossip. So you're not, you're not supposed to do that. Well, I felt the Lord trying to say to me, pray for your enemies and bless those who, persecute, who persecuted you. Well, I, the first part was easy. So I prayed for him. And then when it came time to, to bless him, I said, there's no way on earth I'm blessing this person, nor does he need blessing. He is good enough. Bless me, Lord. <laughs> he doesn't need blessing. But, and this is why I'm saying this, is because he gives you the grace to do it. And he showed me things that this person did for me that maybe I wouldn't have never done for someone else. So it wasn't all bad. So just let it go and move on. Forgive them, pray for them, bless them, and move on. Amen? So walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh, flesh wants to hold a grudge, for instance. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Do I have time? I'm going to give another. Can I give one more example? Okay, so I'm telling you, everything I'm sharing, God is just testing me and testing me. So I got a lot of stories hot off the press. So <laughs> a couple of weeks ago now, one of my things, I don't want to say it. I don't know how to do it. I'm not going to say that. But one thing that's a little difficult for me is witnessing to people outside of church. When the conversation comes up, sharing the gospel with someone who doesn't know anything. Oh, all of you are good at this. Okay, I'm not good. God gives some people the gift of evangelizing, but we're all called to evangelize and to witness. So we shouldn't think that that's not something we're supposed to do. But I had a big deadline. So I was out working somewhere and I said, Lord, I'm just praying against distractions. I need to finish this. This is due today what happens? A friend of mine walks in where I'm at, and, and the moment he came in, I just saw his face was distraught. He did not look okay. And I thought he may have been on something, but then I talked to him, and he went through some very, very difficult stuff recently, and he was saying he hasn't slept in multiple days. He doesn't know what to do. He wants, he doesn't want to get addicted to sleeping pills, but he's thinking about going about that route. And he's very humanistic. He's very positive. He's very, you know, with my mind, I could do whatever I want. And so he said, but, you know, I'm not, uh, I I don't have the, I don't want to go see a therapist. He was saying all this stuff. So what's God telling me in this moment? There's a broken person right in front of you. Just say the words. Just speak to him. Share the gospel with him. Thank God, this guy's a talker. So he's talking, 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 talking. And it was like a movie. All I see is his mouth moving, but I can't hear him. I'm just internally, what if you say something wrong? What if you don't know how to answer his questions? What if someone overhears? What if it takes up all your time? What if you don't submit this paper on time? What are you going to say if he says this? What if you lose a friend? All these things. And the Holy Spirit saying, you've been in the life of faith for this many years. Open your mouth. Just say something. Walk in the spirit. Don't just do what your flesh is comfortable doing. Oh, it was very comfortable for me to say, I'll be thinking about you, sayonara, and then go back to my own business. It's inconvenient, right? I'm in the middle of something. But then I remember something my mom told me when I was a little kid. See, kids listen to their parents eventually. She said, when you're evangelizing to somebody, the Holy Spirit is with you and is ministering to that person. So she's like, always imagine that you're sitting there, that the Holy Spirit is just kind of hovering over that person, and that's doing the work. All you are is a mouthpiece. Okay, so good advice, Mom. Thank you very much. So I'm like, perfect. Uh, and long story short, I ended up just opening the conversation. I said, it's in my heart, really, to pray for you. Do you mind? Are you, do you, are you okay with me praying for you? And he said, of course. And he said, do you think that our prayers go anywhere? And how do you know they go anywhere? And I said, the Bible says Jesus is the way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. And yes, people pray all the time, but we got to make sure we're going through the right avenue. So if you go through Jesus, God will hear you and will hear what you're saying. And then he said, he, you know he started talking about all this stuff is going on in the world, you know there's how is God real if there is all this pain and suffering? And I said, you know I'll, I could give you an answer and it may not fully satisfy you, but if you believe in the Word of God, you know that there's also an enemy and the gospel calls Satan the prince of this world. imagine this conversation in the middle of public is the prince of this world, and so he has power to some degree and Man has the freedom of choice so that we make a lot of bad decisions and God can't just go against the choices we make. So it causes some chaos in this world. But I, and then I gave him my own personal testimony. I said, I guarantee you, if you just stop questioning God, bring your questions to him, come through Christ in due time, he will answer what the answer you're looking for, and he can do miracles in your life. I said, I've seen it in my old life, blah, blah, blah. Guess what happened next? All 100 people in that room gave their heart to the Lord. In fact, no one did. Even he didn't. But that's not the point, church. The point is that we plant a seed. And when God tells us to do something, it's more important to do it than what result we're going to get out of it. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know if one day, but that was his time. And someone spoke to him. So, That's an area I want to start working on, and yes, okay. It's amazing what fear does to our faith. Fear affects the doing portion. When God ultimately tells you to take a step according to faith, you don't listen because of fear. Fear is the exact opposite of faith. It's the antithesis of faith, right? I'm going to go into one biblical story and then I'll finish. It's the story of Elijah. And Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. And to the point that when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, two people come down, Moses and Elijah. And some people say, oh, the disciples were so carnal. You know, they didn't want Jesus to come down and they wanted to stay there with him. I would have been the most carnal person, okay, if I was on that mountain, because I would just want to... Be there in the presence of, just imagine Jesus, Moses, Elijah, they're just talking and you're there. So I would have pitched a nice tent. But anyway, so this is how big and important Elijah is. And Israel at this time, church was a mess. There's no other way of putting it. I mean, just so bad. We were talking about it yesterday. Elena reminded me they, they became worse than the nations around them. Not only did they not uphold their testimony, but they became worse than the nations around them. And Elijah was prophesying during the worst time during the nation of Israel when they were under the leadership of King Ahab. And the Bible says that not only was Ahab the worst of the worst because he did all the detestable acts of the prior kings, the idol worship, but also because he married Jezebel. So, I mean, she was really demonic. There's no other way to put it. One of the things she did that you don't see anywhere else is she made an active effort to go and just kill all of God's prophets. So she's trying to eliminate God's voice throughout Israel. But not only that, she starts appointing her own prophets to the different gods that they were worshiping. And at one point, they had around 850 prophets of Jezebel. Think about this. You're living in a town where 850 people are prophesying on behalf of demons, and there's no word of God. This is the atmosphere I'm trying to set that Elijah is doing his ministering. Faith withstands the terrible seasons that society is facing, and even the wrong direction that the church at large is headed. Faith withstands those times. It doesn't waver because of what's going on in this world. That's where our faith should be even stronger in the Lord. So what does Elijah do? He's very powerful. He says, I've had enough of this. They can't go on like this. I'm going to cause a drought. The faith this man had to cause a drought. It stopped raining for years. It was so bad that Ahab sends one of his people and says, go find Some grass somewhere, anywhere, our cattle, our oxen, they're all dying. There's nothing left. We need sustenance or we're all going to perish. So this guy was a man of God, and he goes and tells Elijah, basically, just come talk to Ahab, see what you can do. Long story short, please go read it. It's the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful portions of the Bible. Ahab's desperate, King Ahab is desperate for Elijah to bring some rain. So Elijah says, perfect, let's, let's have a showdown. Let's set up two altars, put two bull, a bull on each altar. One's the altar to my God, one's the altar to your gods. And let's pray. And the God who is able to bring fire down, that's the real God. Okay, so Ahab's like, fine. And Elijah says, bring all the people of Israel, let them witness what's going on. And Elijah says in 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah went before the people. Now the two altars are there. Ahab's there. All the nation of Israel is witnessing. He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you doubt God? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So long story short, the Baal's prophets, they go first. They're doing all sorts of crazy things, self-mutilation, disgusting things to try to make the fire come down. No fire comes down. Elijah does his thing. God sends fire down. It consumes the altar, but it like consumes the altar. It doesn't just consume the offering. It consumes the whole thing. Well, right after this elijah says now now because all of israel sees this they fall to their knees they go oh my god what have we been doing all this time what have we where have we gone this is the real god they come to their senses so elijah just imagine this his power his faith his zeal his everything he gathers them all together he says let's slaughter all of jezebel's prophets so they literally it's a bloodbath they slaughter all of these demonic prophets Big victory for God, right? Right? Okay, well, the the news now goes to Jezebel. And then Elijah sends rain, okay? But Ahab, instead of going home and saying, this is the real God, this is what happened, he says, this is what Elijah did. He killed off all your prophets. Instead of having a change of heart and turning to the Lord, he goes and complains to his wife. So Jezebel is furious and she sends a letter. She sends news to Elijah and she says woe is me basically that if this time by tomorrow I don't kill you out to kill Elijah. What does Elijah say? Elijah 1 Kings 19:3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. God couldn't bring him to his knees. The 850 prophets couldn't bring him to his knees. One woman brought him to his knees and he's running away out of fear. See, fear makes us do some crazy stuff. When fear comes in, we act in ways that just doesn't make any sense, right? Because all we're thinking about is that specific situation. Fear is The definition of fear, it's an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that something or someone is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. 99% of the fears we have have no base in reality. It's fear of something happening. It's always fear I'm going to get sick, fear I'm going to die, fear I'm not going to go all the way, fear God's going to leave me. It's always fear of something happening. It's never actual something that's actually happened. Have you noticed that? So I'm almost done. Just hang with me for a little bit because the story gets really, really good. So he runs away and he goes to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's just in the wilderness. And you can just make a message out of that. Like, what did that even mean? It's just, it's such an amazing portion of the Bible. I love it. First Kings nineteen nine. There, once he's in the wilderness, he went into a cave and spent the night And the word of the Lord came to him. First, it said an angel came, told him to eat something, drink water, and go to sleep. He does that, wakes up again. Angel says, go eat, drink water, go to sleep. Sometimes we got to just calm down, let the emotions (laughs) subside a little bit. There he came. So now it says, there he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? So what is his fear? Not only that, of course, Jezebel's out to kill him, but he says, I'm the only one left. He says, Lord, I can't take this anymore. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one trying to maintain your testimony. I'm the only one going through problems. I'm the only one going through troubles. I'm the only one who's facing this. How many times do we feel like we're the only one going through something, either I'm talking too long or your arms are getting weak? All right. First Kings 19:11. The Lord said, "Get out and stand. Where else do you see this? Job, Oh, woe is me, All that's happened. God says, get up like a man. I'm about to talk to you. Do you know where else you see this? I love this. It's so funny. But when Jesus one day goes to the pool in Bethesda and there was a pool there in this town and it says every so often an angel would come and stir up the water. And if you saw it happen and you were the first one to go in, any ailment you had, any crippling you had, would be taken away. Where it says a man was there for 38 years laying down on a mat. 38 years. Even when I was a kid and I read this story, I thought it was crazy. I said, why doesn't he just stay in the pool? Imagine 6 year old me thinking this. Why doesn't he just stay in the pool? Stay there until the angel comes and twirls it up. So Jesus goes up to him and says, do you even want to get well? do you even want to get out of your situation? Sometimes we're in the same situation for so long, it becomes second nature to us. We've accepted it for as it is. We see no way out, no hope. We put a mat there and we just lay down. And God is coming and doing things and wants to do things in your life, but you just don't see any way out. And you know what the man responds? He says, I have no one to help put me in the pool. Really? Really? The excuses that we come up with sometimes. You know what Jesus says to him? Get up! Get up! Get up, church. He tells Elijah, get up. He tells Job, get up. Get out of your problem. Get out of your mindset. I can do everything. I can do anything in your life. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Do it. And you know, I always found, okay, it's it's not a little yoga mat he had on there. He was there for 38 years. He had a tent, probably, and a table and a chair and a lamp. He probably set everything up there. Took him a long time to pick his mat up and get out of there. But church, Jesus is saying the same thing. Spiritually speaking, get up out of this defeated mindset. He's alive. He's in you. He's working in you. We're in him at the right hand of the Father. No. So back to Elijah, again, almost done. Two more things and I'll finish. The Lord says to him, so he says, get out and stand. But look at this. First, he says, go back to where you came from. Okay. Don't just leave a mess and escape. Go back. It's okay. I'll take care of Jeze. She's not that powerful. Anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Next, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And then anoint Elisha to succeed you as a prophet. Now I'm going to wait here until you get the punchline. What is he trying to say? God always has a plan. And he always knows the way out. And he always has all the steps in order. He knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly what steps you have to take in your life, in your problem, in your ministry, in this church. He knows everything. But all he is waiting for is for somebody to get up listen to what he's saying and when he tells you to do something execute he didn't just say elijah this is what's gonna happen he said go and do these things and he gives us the grace to do it not by might not by power but by the spirit god always has a plan and as if that wasn't enough he said oh and by the way since you think you know everything mr elijah One more thing to add on to that. You think you're alone? You're not. She has 850 prophets. I have 7,000 people in Israel who have not kneeled down to Baal. So you're not alone. And what you're doing is not going to go to waste. Just get up and follow my directions. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Uh oh. Pure joy? Get out of here, James. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Nothing can stand in the way of a Christian who has perseverance, who's gone through some stuff, who has some experience under their belt, and has learned in all circumstances, to just press on, move forward, and trust God. Nothing can stop that person. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. He just wants us to have the faith that he'll do it. And it will be given to you, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Wow. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Emotional, going based on how I feel, what I want, right? I read this and I said, Lord, I just want one thing. I don't want to be double-minded. That's one thing I just don't want. I don't want my faith to waver. Amen? I'll invite the worship team. I think they have a song at the end. And if it's in your heart to commit yourself to a life of faith in the uncertainty when we're having an Elijah moment, if it's, it's really in your heart, I want to invite you It's not a religious thing. It's not anything. I want to invite you to stand up with me and let's just pray together. I'll close my eyes. I'm not peeking. I don't know who's going to stand up. But truly, if it's in your heart to commit yourself to faith, Father, I pray that whatever you're trying to show us, Lord, all these years, that it just doesn't go to waste, Lord that we take it and we apply it to our lives, that we learn to walk like Abraham did, children of faith, not necessarily always going where, where we think we're going or know where we're going, but having that faith and determination that you have a plan for us in the future, an important plan, a perfect plan, and we just trust you, Lord. And Father... Forgive us, Father, if we've lived a life of unbelief, because that is another sin, really, just not believing in you. And thank you so much, Lord, for not condemning us. There's no condemnation in Christ, but you sometimes convict our hearts and you lead us in the right direction, Lord. So I pray that in whatever it is that you, you see that we need to do, something in our ministry, something in our marriage, something in our parenting, something in our school, something at work, whatever it is that you've, you're speaking to our spirit and you're saying, do this, Lord. We want to be doers, Father. And thank you for giving us the grace, truly, to be able to, exerce- to execute whatever you have for our life, Lord. We don't want to be like that crippled by the pool, Father, 38 years going in circle, Lord. I pray for a breakthrough today. I pray that any mental strongholds we have, Lord, in Jesus' name, that they be torn down. A stronghold of unbelief, a stronghold of thinking about the past too much, a stronghold of doubt, a stronghold of not being confident in who we are in you. It's not confidence in us, it's who we are in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for opening our eyes. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us a new life. I commit us into your hands. I commit our families into your hands, Lord. Do a deep work in us, Lord. Shine so bright. Bring many more sons and daughters into your body, Father. We're sick and tired of of seeing the people around us and trying to do something and make them come to you, Father. You do that work. You minister through us and bring us to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.